Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of The Inforium, where dreams come true, nightmares are reality, and madness is the default state of all who live here. Hi. Very motivational speech. Oh, yes. You got going there. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome back to The Inforium. This show yeah, is ostensibly about, about productivity and things of that nature. Today... We're talking about perfectionism in this what will surely be imperfect episode. Yep. And that's okay. Probably. We've already had an imperfect start to the day because the podcast recording website that we usually use is broken. Yay. So we are recording through Zoom, but then also recording locally so it uh, turns out better quality because we care very much about the quality of audio that our listeners get to subject themselves to. Yeah, I care about your ears, dear listener. Your your ears are in my wishes every night. (laughs) Specifically the ears. Only the ears. That's it. Uh, Well, hey, this is the first episode of 2021. Let's hope that this year is a little bit better. Uh, We're we're recording this quite a bit in advance. Because we're productive. Look at this. We're so productive now. Batching things like a month ahead. We're professionals. I know podcasters who will record like eight months in advance. And that seems too far to me. Yeah, like there's a part of me that's always envied that level of productivity and planning, but there's also the part of me where like I've been a guest on those types of shows and they're like, all right, cool. Your episode will be live in eight months. And I'm like, okay that's not very exciting and then eight months will go by and you're like guess what your episode's going live i'm like boy i didn't don't even remember doing that basically yeah so it's it's just not exciting <laughs> anymore who knows if i even agree with what i was saying that's true back yeah, then who knows i was mind. that was the silly eight month old me eight, eight well, month old me. eight months eight months old version of you, you know what i'm saying if you were on a podcast it's not like old, not like a baby that's pretty smart this baby is baby geniuses baby geniuses that's a classic film <laughs> well hey it's january uh so i have something cool to announce this will also be in the sponsor spot but guess what i have a new skillshare class out it's called productivity for creatives uh listen later on for the sponsor spot for more details on that and the url since they are paying for a sponsor spot i will do it during the sponsor spot but i wanted to mention it because it's my class and i'm very excited about it I mean, that's and pretty I think cool. Anybody who's a creative is gonna get something out of it. Pretty solid, pretty solid project work, I'd say. That's yeah. I guess that can actually roll us right into project check-in. Uh, it is Friday, December eleventh, as we're recording this, so still twenty twenty, the dreaded twenty twenty. Um, but yeah, I just yesterday added all of my final feedback on the class, so. I've pretty much given it my stamp of approval, a couple of different changes, and then we're good to go. So they're editing, they're finishing up the edit, and they're going to be uploading it. So it'll be, it'll be up on Skillshare by the time this episode goes live. 
Well, look so at that. Quite excited about that. Fancy. Uh, yeah. What have you been doing? Might I be have. Uh, I just started taking a winter photography class. Ooh, I saw your pictures on Twitter. Um, Those I'm look excited great. to find. I mean, yeah, I've been doing the with my themed photos. I've been doing on Instagram. I decided Twitter can wait till the end of the week so I can share all of the theme at once. Mm-hmm. And I, I like how I like how that's ended ending up. And um, I'm taking this class because I want to sort of. I respond well to having homework, first of all, and I need to figure out how to keep finding more subjects, you know, so that the next mm. several months of photos isn't basically entirely snow. Yeah. I got to come up with some creative approaches. This is something that tripped me up that first year when I had been posting daily for more than six months, mm-hmm. including weekends, and I had to stop sometime, sometime in winter because one photo went wrong and I was like I have no idea how to find enough to fix this in time it's ruined so this is my challenge season I wonder if there would be any particularly interesting interior spaces that you could go do photography in maybe I did a lot of uh, sort of indoor stuff that first year I was doing mm-hmm. a decent job at it but it's just hard to find new subjects frequently yeah. that I think people are going to be into or the that only I'm thing into. I can think of is I think think downtown there's like this old cathedral that might have like cool stained glass windows and stuff i do like stained glass i don't know what the opportunity would be like for getting in there but that's a potentially interesting interior space uh because i mean usually like you do outdoor stuff botanic gardens but yeah Yeah, it's all going to be covered in snow for now so yeah and i don't want like the entire theme of everything to just be hey look a bunch of white pixels that's uh that's all we got here <laughs> if you don't like if you don't like snow you're gonna be real sad for a while yeah it's all blown out mix but, it up. uh on purpose you know yeah what can you do i am excited because i have had the canon r5 on order back order for months and it's finally shipped it's not here yet but I am very excited to get that. And then I also ordered the Canon C70. So uh, nerd alert here. But very, very soon, I'm going to have a triple 10-bit color camera setup. Which is very, very exciting to me. It, it, it does currently, sound big. Currently, my, my C500 shoots in 10-bit. But the the R, which I have mounted here and I use for my uh, Thomas Frank Explains videos only shoots in 8-bit and it looks good but just like the, you can't push the colors nearly as well in 8-bit so hmm. you shoot in raw yep um and you but know that my, makes more my sense because i'm not shooting three trillion petabytes yeah my things. c500 and my c200 can both shoot in raw but raw is just such a pain to work with um speaking of working with video footage one project that i finished up over this week is building a new computer you built just a new desktop just because i did yeah i i had intended to just upgrade my current desktop because i was looking at uh there's a website called puget systems and they basically give guidance and do a tons of testing on the best hardware for adobe for tons of, actually tons of things but like for my interests adobe products and for premiere specifically the the amd threadripper processors just absolutely smoke the competition especially in terms of rendering speed. Um, and I really wanted to upgrade to that also because 
I know that the Linus Tech Tips team, they use those Threadripper processors for editing like 4K or 8K footage. So I'm like, okay, hopefully all of my Premiere problems will be solved by this, or at least some of them. Uh, so I go to the store and the guys at the desk are like, oh, you want to build a Threadripper? Yeah, you should almost certainly reinstall Windows entirely. Like there's no way you're just going to transfer your existing Windows install over to a Threadripper build from your Intel. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't really want to destroy my current install because I have a lot of stuff on there. So I just ended up building an entirely new computer. All right. And then realized that it's actually, uh, it was actually a, a good way to do things because what I have ended up with now is uh, my old quote unquote computer is still quite capable. And the new one is so good for rendering that if Tony and I shoot a ton of stuff that we want to like render into proxy files or render videos or whatever, we can just do it on the new one. And I still have a usable windows computer that I can edit off of or do whatever work I need to. Anything I need to can cool. still be done here. Yeah. And I was at first I was like, two computers come on. And then I realized, you know, most people, when it's not COVID times, work in an office and then they have a computer at home. So like it's not that different. Yeah. Uh and last night I made the first strides towards building the basement studio. Which more so than curious, just ripping I'm up documenting this on Instagram. So, Tom Frankly, if you're not following there. But, yeah, the basement had these terrible, awful, no good, laminate wood floor planks. And so I had a carpet person come in and give me a quote for putting carpet down there. And their price was great, except they were like, we're going to charge you $1,300 to remove the old floor. And I'm like, okay it must be glued down or something like it must be a huge pain to take up if they want to charge that much. So I go down there and I just like tug at it a little bit and I'm like, this doesn't seem glued down. And I pull up a plank and like, that was easy. So literally in one night, uh, me and my friend Charles took up the entire floor. You're done. You, the whole We're done. Thing. You just say, yeah, I mean, other, like I need somebody, happened. I need somebody to come like haul away the planks. That's it. That's cool. Yeah. I took up all the all the edging quarter round stuff around the baseboards and the floor and it's all just concrete now ready for carpet so I gotta do that I gotta paint I have to run ethernet but uh, it's coming along it's gonna be a dope basement studio one hopes I'm excited yep uh, so yeah I guess that's that's project check-in just a lot of a lot of building things this weekend or, or destroying things I guess technically those wooden planks are kind of destroyed. I, I accidentally broke a few in half, and they're basically just paper. Like on the inside, it's it's what like does that just mean. Like uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like basically just really really dense, hard cardboard material. It's literally paper, and then the top is just coated with a laminate like fake wood ish thing weird so, i don't know not really the greatest flooring uh, i think you know like better quality laminate floor looks better and might be made of better things but this stuff was just i think it was very cheap so that wouldn't be too all, surprising i suppose Mm-hmm. it's all going away so uh you've been working on a video for our channel about perfectionism this is true 
So I thought it might be a decent idea to just talk about perfectionism on the podcast because I don't know about you, but uh, I certainly deal with perfectionism. I may have a few Quite issues a with it. This, yeah. In fact, the book I'm reading may have been recommended by my therapist specifically, so, so one, one might think that I have an issue with it sometimes. What's the book that you're reading? The book that I'm reading is called When Perfect Isn't Good Enough, I believe. It's um, styled in a sort of self-help style, but it's uh, been recognized by some sort of psychological associations and things like that because it's got actual cognitive behavioral therapy and and things that have been shown to actually help mm -hmm. as opposed to just like feel-good lines. It's mm -hmm. um, got a bunch of research behind it. So I've been reading that because it turns out perfectionism Contrary to the image of just like a super, super picky artist who's really good at stuff like Da Vinci or Steve Jobs or something, it's uh, associated with a lot of not so fun things, mm. particularly several mental disorders like um, or issues like depression, anxiety, um, tons of stress and burnout, obsessive compulsive disorder. In my case, it turns out it's uh, got a lot of negatives to it, not to mention the constant procrastination and yeah. the overworking, which I assume that we are both intimately familiar with. Yeah. It, it, isn't it weird? Like, we both have problems with procrastination, but also overworking. It's not like I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, go play video games and I'll do this later. Yeah. I, I think it's literally, I feel so perfectionist about this project, which is probably the most important thing I should be doing, that I, I'm going to go do something else. Yeah, it's like, like procrastinating. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll convince myself I need to do like this smaller work thing over here because like, let's be real here. It just gets me away from starting the thing that I have all this perfectionist anxiety about. You know, the funny thing is, you know, that like the, the classic interview question, what would you say your greatest weakness is? Oh, and like yeah. the cop out answer is, oh, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I just care too much about my work. Yeah, but like the real the real thing is like being a perfectionist is actually a pretty big weakness in many cases. Yeah, for for quite a few jobs that is a negative that that maybe you shouldn't have the job for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean we we've had a little bit of and I, I won't call this perfectionism, but we've had a little bit of growing pains with uh, we we just acquired an entire production agency um, at Standard, and they are used to longer term big videos for big corporate clients and part of the process of kind of you know integrating them into standard and getting them working with our processes is realizing like youtube videos don't need the same degree of spit and polish on every little thing no. and uh yeah it's, it's been a you know it's a little bit of part of the challenge of, of starting to work together and everything because like a lot of them are used to like oh we'll take like you know a week on 10 seconds of animation because that's what the corporate clients wanted. And for YouTube, it's like, we just, we, we make stuff at such a pace that we cannot even, we can't do that. It would be nice, but we can't. But like, that's something that I notice in my own work. I'll get an idea for like 10 seconds of animation or 10 seconds of footage. And the first thing my brain says is, oh, okay. Now if that's not in the video and it's not executed amazingly, the video is a failure. Yeah, it is an ironic lesson to have to be trying to teach other people from mm -hmm. 
when you basically get perfectionist about every video <laughs> in some way anyway. Well, to be clear, I'm not the one trying to teach them. Like it's it's more like standard staff working on it. Oh, that's fair. That's <laughs> uh, fair. But it's just something that's been discussed in our meetings. But yeah, like it's definitely something that I I can commiserate on because I struggle with it in my own work. And I should know better because I've never done corporate video work. I've always done YouTube work. But yeah, yeah, it seems like as time goes on, it just it becomes harder for me to let go of those things. Even yeah, though so. I often get data showing like they don't matter. Oh, yeah, of, yeah. Consistently. And you've said before yeah. that you have found out time and time again that you're not even always the special sauce required, mm -hmm. as you've said, for something to happen, that letting things go and delegating has paid off. Yeah. But a big part of some perfectionist tendencies is, in fact, to be unsure that anyone else will be able to do it exactly the way you want it. Mm. It's a, So, like, you want to take it all on yourself, which seems like it obviously has a breaking point when you decide to carry everything. Yeah, and you think that you think that the way you want it is, like, the, the only way that it can exist. And yeah. if it's not that way, it's going to, like, fail or fail to live up to its potential. And like the silly thing is, I think like the best video in terms of performance that we made this year is the five hour rule, which Ransom wrote. And like I, I added some stuff in, but Ransom wrote the initial draft of that. And then you and Tony did most of the editing on that. Yeah. And see, I don't so even like, really remember working on it. So it must not have been too perfectionist <laughs> for me in the moment. More so yeah. than just how do we make this really good mm -hmm. and then move on to the next thing. Because usually we've got, we've got deadlines. Mm -hmm. We've got all sorts of concerns. Um, the way that the, the problem you're talking about is thinking that your way is the only way. I think one example from the book, I'm pretty sure it was from the book, that I thought was really sort of obvious for this that explained it well was you got to realize it's almost certainly true that if you name like 10 people and then yourself, all of you have a very slightly different way of something like doing the dishes or just little simple things like that. You almost always are going to have a little difference mm -hmm. from somebody else. And yet all of you at the end of the day seem to have reasonably sufficient results. Like there are so many different ways of doing it that still work. And that applies to yeah. more niche things like YouTube videos like it's very obvious that there are channels that are doing things differently than us that are also succeeding somehow. So yep. we can't possibly have the only secret. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like sobering because when I'll, when I try to analyze like, okay, why did something do well? I'll often hone in on things that I thought were like, okay, here's the secret sauce in the process of how I did it. And then, you know, you go watch somebody else's work that did equally well or better. And it's not present. Yeah. So it's like, that's not what it is. It's something else. And in fact, they yeah. may think the secret sauce is the exact opposite because that's what worked for them. That's true. Yeah, I've, I've seen people say like, oh, you know, you're going to be successful on YouTube if you push your production quality and make it look as professional as possible. And I've also seen people say part of the allure of YouTube is the crappy production quality because it makes you more relatable to your audience and makes it look like, oh, it's something that they could have made. Yeah. There's and it's something... like, well, you know, those proponents on both sides are successful. So who is to say which one is right? Yeah, in all forms of advice, 
basically there's a bit of survivorship bias. Mm-hmm. So everybody thinks that the way that they got through it is like the best way at first. Yeah. Because that's how they did it. So it it feels true. Have you heard the the story of like the planes as it pertains to survivorship bias? No, but it sounds like it's heading towards something dark. Is there a plane crash? Involved? No, it's not. Well, I, I mean, I guess it's like there's darkness surrounding this story, but there was a mathematician named Abraham Wald who got hired by the government. I think it was during World War II, and they had all these planes coming back, um, and they were like, they were like, all right, we want to analyze the positions of the bullet holes on the planes so we can figure out like where do we reinforce the planes where do we maybe take off material and armoring so they're more maneuverable and um they're like well okay we look at all these bullet holes and there's bullet holes everywhere except for near the engine block so i think we can just like take some armor plating off of the engine block to reduce weight and then add armor plating to other places where we're seeing all these bullet holes and abraham Wald's like Guys, the reason that we're not seeing bullet holes in the engine block is because the the planes that get shot in the engine don't come back to us. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, we should probably armor the engine block a little more, actually. <laughs> so that's like the perfect example of survivorship bias. Is like if you're only looking at the planes that come back, you draw the complete opposite conclusion that you should, because you never see the planes that don't come back. Yeah. And you know likewise we we never see we don't we don't read articles from people who failed at building a YouTube channel. It's like here's why yeah, I failed. I've never heard of those people. Mhm. You know, like they might not even know why they failed. Uh and even if they did, they're probably not eager to go share that story and even if they were, they probably don't have the big platform that a big YouTube channel would afford them to get that story out there. Uh and the same thing happens in tons and tons of different industries and areas so we just tend to hear from the people who won yeah. and then you know i don't think they're being disingenuous to share what they think was the key to their success but uh you know they don't get to see the planes that came back so they're like look i i took armor off the engine block and it was fine yeah it's it's more like that's an example of how one could succeed that you can pull mm -hmm. things from but it's not it's not exactly scientific data yeah uh, so you were telling me when you read the book, there were like different types of perfectionism, right? Yeah, this is this is one of the most interesting things that showed up for me. And so basically, perfectionism has been studied by, you know, mental health studiers. And there were these, I don't remember the names right now, Canadian, fairly certain psychiatrists or psychologists or something that had discovered that they could divide perfectionism in a, in a more multidimensional way and do three types of perfectionism that are distinct and kind of add up to form the full picture. The first one was self-oriented. So if you have really high standards for yourself, there's other oriented when you have those high standards, but for other people, and then socially prescribed where you think other people have really high standards for you. The important part of that last one is that this is you imagining their high standards. It's yeah. not necessarily true. But each of these has their own amount of pros and cons. Like the first one, self-oriented. A lot of people who push themselves far with more self-oriented high standards, they can do things as long as they don't go just far enough that they 
get all the anxiety side effects. Right. You know, so so having really high standards for yourself isn't a bad thing by itself. So a little bit of that one is maybe okay. Too much of it, you might run yourself into the ground. Other mm-hmm. oriented could be really helpful at a certain degree, but if you go too far, you're going to, you know, ruin all your friendships when you correct all of their grammar every single conversation and you'll be a terrible manager because no one will want to work for you when they're yeah. told that their every single move is not good enough. So there's a little bit of a balance you can do on those first ones where maybe the high standards would be okay. But when you push it too far, you ruin it. And the last one is probably the worst of the three, in my opinion, and is more associated, I was told, to think like worse levels of depression and anxiety and worse because socially prescribed, like the first two are about meeting high standards, mm-hmm. whether you or somebody else, you just, you want excellence. But that third one is primarily about avoiding somebody else judging you or thinking you're a failure. Yeah. And that's, especially when it's an imagined standard that you probably can't meet because you'll just imagine it to be higher than you did. You're going to constantly feel like you're failing other people and that that would have devastating effects on your self-esteem, imposter syndrome, uh, all sorts of things that Mm -hmm. would make... I don't really see very good things coming from that one it, it seems like the share of negative side effects to socially prescribed yeah is a bit higher yeah because if it's imagined then like if you hear something from somebody else your your perception of how you think their standards are doesn't really align with that it's just something that you have cooked up in your head yeah and i mean i honestly I had to fill out this little thing to find out what my levels were in each mm-hmm. three. And I have, I have a pretty a pretty higher than I would like level of that last one. But I've already yeah. said, like, it, it's pretty easy for me. And I know there are going to be listeners who are like, oh, no, I feel this same thing. But if I hang out with some friends, if I'm not feeling great about myself that day, I'll, I'll leave that. And, like, within five minutes, I'll convince myself that somebody that something I said was stupid or that I wasn't as fun to be around as usual you know it's just a bunch of negative stories that come from no evidence whatsoever so that last yeah. one is just basically just a lot of anxiety in your head with yeah not very many good parts and i know like you know from working together for the past few years like there have been times where like i find that you push yourself too hard or maybe stay up late and i'm like i i didn't i didn't need you to do that i didn't yeah. ask you to do that and it's just like there's this perception there yeah, I but, basically constantly think I'm on the verge of failing everyone, which yeah. you know, I'm working on. I recognize that that is not healthy, which is why I've been reading this book, but Yep. I, I wonder I if never I should thought too. about it. Cuz yeah, I I get into this loop where like I feel like this started a while ago where my perfectionism with my own videos will sometimes push me to need to like extend a deadline. And then I feel bad about having to do that once. So then like, and, and one of the guys who works at standard PJ will be like, just talk to me if you need help. That's what we're here for. We're here to help you. There's never any judgment, but in my head, it's like, okay, next month I need to do it perfectly to basically like atone for screwing up. And that ironically will, will make me less likely to reach out for help if I need it again. So it's like this bad cycle Yeah. where, yeah. So I, I kind of understand that a little bit. I just never would have thought about it like that till they divided it into the three types. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think you can have a combination of all three with whatever you feel perfectionist about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, until you had kind of broken those three down when we were talking off air, I had never really thought about it in that way, but it is kind of like two different kinds of perfectionism feeding into each other for me. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not even always like, so I had a very high score for self-oriented perfectionism, but that part doesn't I don't have the anxiety side effects of it. I'm I'm more aware of the fact that that isn't hurting me too much because mm. when I stay up three extra hours working on that Delmise pixel art, which I very much did not too long ago, because I was picky about where I put shadows, and I just I wanted it to have all the features exactly, and I was like, wait, the official the official art has like five seaweed things. I need to ha- I need to fit those in somehow, even though I thought I was done before that. Mm-hmm. I was never anxious. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeking those standards. So yeah. I never hit like the unhealthy perfectionist piece. I just sought high standards. Yeah. I didn't, I wanted to do it. It was fun. But the second I'm doing it because I'm afraid of failing somebody else, that that starts to make it not fun anymore. I'm not doing mm. the art because I like it. I'm doing the art because I'm desperately afraid of failure. And then one of those has a lot more pressure. Yeah. Hey, let's take a quick ad break. So today's episode is sponsored by our friends over at Skillshare, and I am incredibly excited to do this specific ad for Skillshare because I just launched a new class on Skillshare called Professional Mindset Productivity for Creatives. So if you are a creative like I am, if you make YouTube videos or Instagram photos or podcasts or really any kind of creative work, I think this class is going to be very helpful for you. I have dumped a ton of the lessons that I have learned and shared, a ton of the systems that I have built to be more productive and creative and inspired as a full-time creator. I think full-time creators, but also part-time creators and side hustlers are going to find this very useful. So this class goes through three main sections. First is the mindset section, talking about kind of adopting a professional mindset, not just working when you're inspired, but getting on a schedule and discovering that getting on a schedule, being disciplined actually brings more inspiration with it. And then we move on to a couple of more tactical sessions, one on templatization of your work, building reusable templates in basically every stage of your production process to reduce friction and reduce repeated steps, and then a section on collaboration and delegation. So I share some of the lessons that I've learned building a team, going from a solopreneur, doing everything myself, having that complete DIY mindset to letting go of things, working with people and developing processes for making that delegation and making that collaboration a bit more productive. So if any of this sounds interesting to you, I highly recommend going and checking out that class and you can actually do it for free by going over to skillshare.com slash inforium where you can sign up to get a free trial. Beyond that, Skillshare is already a very affordable platform starting at less than 10 bucks a month in their annual plan. And in addition to my new class, you're gonna find two other classes from me, one on having building and when I'm building your general productivity system, in addition to thousands of other classes from tons of talented teachers on graphic design, on video editing, and basically any video editing app you can think 
think of on music and podcast production, business, marketing, UI, UX design, what have you. There's tons of great classes on the platform that can build your skills and your creativity. So once again, Skillshare.com slash Inforium to get that free trial and to support our show. Big thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring this episode. And another big thanks goes out to our second sponsor this week, which is Hover. If you've listened to this podcast at all in the past, you will know that Hover is the best place on the internet to get your hands on a domain name, which is a very good thing to get your hands on if you want to build yourself a professional presence on the web. I think of my website, thomasjfrank.com, as sort of my home base on the internet. I've got my YouTube channel, I've got my Instagram account, I've got my Spotify, I've got the podcast, all these things, but they sort of come into this home base at thomasjfrank.com where I can make connections with people who I may want to work with in the in the future. Uh, if I were looking for a job, I would want to use that as a place to show off my skills, potentially get hired, and also create content that can rank on Google and help me build my expertise in the areas where I'm trying to basically brand myself. And the first step to building that website, building that online home base, is to get that domain name. That's something you're gonna wanna do as soon as possible because even if you're not ready to build that website, you wanna have that domain name reserved so somebody else can't take it. Once they do, unless they let it expire, which doesn't happen very often, you're kind of out of luck. So you should go over to hover.com slash CIG and get your domain name. Not only are you gonna save 10% off your first purchase there, but you're going to find that buying a domain on Hover is incredibly easy. It's a friction-free, hassle-free process, and they already have 400 plus different domain extensions that you can choose from. Your .coms, your .mes, your .nets, all those classic ones, but also things like .lol. I have Thomas dot lol dot blog. I've got thomasfrank.blog, all kinds of great domains. And once you've picked your domain, you can either redirect that domain to another domain. So my like thomasfrank.blog and thomas.lol, they redirect to my main website or certain pages of that main website. You can also set up a professional email address like thomas at collegeinfogeek.com, which is a little bit more professional than a Gmail or a Hotmail. And you can also use their connect tool to connect that domain up to website builders or even online store builders. So once again, go over to hover dot com slash cig that's h-o-v-e-r dot com slash cig to get 10 percent off your first purchase and to support the show and to lock down that all-important domain name for your professional presence online big thanks as always to hover for sponsoring this episode and let's get back into the show i'm trying to like analyze my own relationship with like others expectations versus my own as it pertains to perfectionism. Cause yeah, I don't really know where the balance is. Like with the song that I just put out, uh, atmospheric entry, there were a lot of things where I felt that I needed to sit there and tweak and tweak and tweak because I wanted it to be to a certain standard. But there's also like this little thing in the back of my head, like, Oh, it needs to be this good because otherwise it won't, it won't do well online. And I've been thinking about this lately. Like, how much has the internet and social media twisted the overall purpose of making art to be about impressing <laughs> other people and amassing an audience rather than just doing the art because you want to? Yeah, very, very much. I, I mean, I even saw somebody earlier in the year, way earlier, where they were like, hey, let's bring back hobbies. You know, it doesn't yeah. need to be a side hustle. It doesn't need to, you don't need to monetize every single thing you do with your life. And also monetizing your hobbies often ruins them. So right. we're just in a cycle of ruining what we love. Yeah. 
Yeah, like like everything I want to do, there's a little part of my brain that's like, all right, well, how can you turn that into something that benefits your business? <laughs> a job like, you even, could fail at, perhaps? Yeah, like even music. I'm like, oh, hey, how could I, you know, add like music as like a side hustle, side career thing? And I'm like, wait, do I, do I want to do that? Like, do I want to think about every song I create as like a business opportunity or like, or even just be thinking about it in terms of how well it's going to do. But on the flip side, like there's still, I don't know on the flip side, like my brain's still like, well, I do. I still want to put my stuff out there. I still want to share it. I want people to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. And to some degree, that's like a perfectly reasonable thing to want to do with your art. Yeah. But we got all the metrics now to stare at that, that make it. And you sent me that article that was saying that it looks like perfectionism is on the rise in younger generations. And I would, definitely assume that that's a part of it i think it is the mere existence of these tools because i know perfectly well how to set up a css filter in chrome using stylebot to hide youtube analytics i can hide everything i can hide views i could hide comments like i could make everything display none i could never log in to spotify for artists and see my stream downloads and everything like i could just never do it and maybe if I did that for long enough, I would stop caring. But whenever I do it, there's always like this, this like voice raging in my brain. It's like, no, you, you should go check it, go check it, go check the analytics. Even You're like right now, I'm like, data. I, I, I'm like right now, most of me is like, I do not want to know the the view ranking of my latest video on Thomas Frank explains because I built that channel specifically to get away from the YouTube BS of having to worry about views in every video. I'm, like the whole entire purpose is to build a business model where I don't have to freak out about the views of every video and they can all just be there as things. And there's still this competing voice in my brain. It's like, no, go, go and look at it. Go see what the ranking is. And then I know like, okay, if it's, if it's one out of 10 or one out of however many videos I've made, then the reaction is, ooh, cool for one second. And then, well, now, now the next thing has to be better than that. It's always that. And then if it's, you know, less than uh, like five out of 10, then I feel bad. And I'm like, yeah. oh shit, I'm a failure. And yet, I've been dealing with the same thing with my uh, photography for a bit. And I actually think I've been improving it with my theme, the rose of my grid thing. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, with algorithm changes and all sorts of stuff, the, the reach just isn't as big as it seems it used to be. Yeah. Especially given that I'm unwilling to bend my content to what I think will work. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, oh, well, that, that photo did terribly. Um, and then I'd think about maybe I should archive it. Maybe I should hide it. Maybe I should bring it back later. Maybe I should, is this a chrono- chronology of all of my photos or is this just my best stuff? I don't know what I should show people. But yeah. now that I'm doing the, the rows, I'm a little less worried when one doesn't do well because I'm more like, well, the real art was that the row looks good together. Yeah, And if, if these two out of the three did well, this one is just here to make them look good. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. Yeah. So maybe that's that's something that could be helpful is like thinking about your work in terms of a bigger project than whatever the granular thing is that you get all these stats on. Yeah. It's like in, perfectionism in on photos. average, basically. You, you yeah. want to hit the high standard on, on average, which I think is maybe nicer because we've already talked several times on the podcast about like, how quantity can create quality 
Mm-hmm. But if you're worried about making a perfect thing on time one, you can't do enough quantity to ever get close to that perfection you're looking for. So yeah, you kind of just have to hope you hit it. Mm-hmm. One thing that like going off the the themed row idea, one thing I really liked that Matt Diavella did last year is he kind of did a whole series of videos on like, I did this habit for 30 days. So I took cold showers for 30 days or meditated for 30 days. And it would be cool to do something like that on my channel where it's like a planned series. So number one, it would just be cool to like make something that big. But also if one of those videos doesn't do the best ever, I don't have to immediately go, oh, well, what's the perfect topic that I can do next to get all the views? Cause that's, I think that's what like these tools push us to do is think, okay, well, you know, what can I jump on? That's going to do well, you know? And I, I don't know if you feel this, but like, as a, if I was a photographer, I would be thinking like, okay, well crap, all these kinds of photos get more views. Like there's probably going to be some part of me that feels pushed to try that. <laughs> but if I yeah. dedicate myself to a series, then it's like, this is the project. Just see it to the end and we'll see how it does. So maybe that's part of it is, you know, take on a goal that puts you on a different level than the individual granular piece of content or whatever it is that, I don't know, seems to create all this anxiety through its statistics that it gives you. Yeah, each one of those small things is really not all that important compared to how the overall performs. If you did one perfect Mm -hmm. video and every single YouTube viewer saw it, but your next 10 were failures like that one was okay i guess but what's where's the future i mean in that particular case yeah. you're gonna get it's, it's so, so many viewers that maybe you could still make something happen but if all of your videos yeah. other than that one suck it doesn't really matter you were mm-hmm. a one-hit wonder which is less perfect in in any useful like c- career sense or even just hobby sense than a consistent okay yeah so I think this is part of the reason why, you know, that article was saying perfectionism is on the rise because we get more than ever, we get all these different data sources that can quantify and rank any aspect of anything we've ever done. And meanwhile, we also have access and exposure to all these other people who are constantly putting their own things out there. And basically like whether we like it or not, creating a comparison value, you know? And I struggle with that. I'm like, all these people are like, oh, this guy is better at camera operating than I am. This guy is better at editing than I am. This guy puts out more content than I do. Why am I not putting out daily videos, but also putting out videos that are, you know, better than the ones I'm putting out? And why am I not also making all these articles? Like there's all these different people and my brain's like, okay, well, you need to be as good as those people simultaneously. Yeah, yeah you, all of them. Yeah, I feel <laughs> the same way. It's like I'm supposed to be doing more travel photos, but mm-hmm. also maybe I need to get back into niche macro stuff. But also if you go to most hashtags, the most popular photos have people in them. Am I supposed to photograph people now or or do selfies yeah. by a mountaintop? That's not what I wanted. I don't, want to sh- I don't show my face on there because that's not what I'm photographing. But should I do it because people might like it? Mm-hmm. I, I don't personally want to. So if I'm seeking those numbers out, I'm going to have to change the point. Yeah. And there's, there's also been this like maybe more insidious thing getting into my head where 
how do I describe this? There's, there's a part of me that says, okay, you're supposed to be this like person who is good at productivity and things like that. So what's, what's the other thing that you're super good at that proves that? Yeah, I definitely Which feel is, that. Right. And it's like, well, all of my time goes into creating this content, but there's a part of me that's like, well, you need to, you need to show something else that shows that you know what you're talking about and that you like, you walk the walk. Uh, but then like, it, it's hard to decide on, you know, what, what is that supposed to be? Is it supposed to be music? Is it supposed to be like being the best at notion? And, um, you know, I, I don't like always let these be the biggest voices, but I'm just sort of like, you know, talking through it right now. Um, there will be like, like comparisons and jealousy. Like if somebody knows something that I don't, I'm like, why didn't I know that? You know, and it's stupid because it's it's supposed to be a learning process. See, and you're using the word you know? supposed a lot and <laughs> supposed to and should. They're judgment words. You know, like, is there really a supposed to anything? It should mm -hmm. anything. The universe kind of just does what it wants. You know, yeah. who says who says that we have the ultimate my ultimate purpose in this universe is that I'm supposed to have the exact perfect hobby like there is no supposed to. That's just an imagined judgment on all of yeah. your options. Yep. So I don't know. This video will be out by the time this podcast is out. So I, I put out a video about um, the idea of richness and how one can be rich in more ways than one. Like if you have at least 31 years left to live, you are a time billionaire in seconds. You have more than a billion seconds left. Um, and so I started thinking about like, okay, well, what are the areas in which I want to be rich? You know, because it's not just about money. It's not just about audience or whatever that is. It's about, for me at least, it's about, you know, being rich in deep relationships, not surface level ones, but ones where I feel very deeply connected to the people like in friendships and with my relationship with Anna. Uh, I want to be rich in time that I can spend discovering things that interest me. Uh, but the thing is, I, I think the exposure to all of these different metric sources um, and just the, the way our economy and society works in general, it's constantly pulling me towards the decisions that optimize for financial richness or business success richness, whatever analytics and, and uh, metrics that go along with that audience richness, because there's there's no company out there that's incentivized to build an analytics dashboard for how happy I am with the amount of time I have to just discover things or read books. Yeah. There are a lot of companies out there who are very incentivized to build me an analytics dashboard for how many views I got on a photo or how many views I got on a video or how much money I made last month. There's tons of them. And we had talked about this on, I think the last episode or maybe the one before that about like cold Turkey versus moderation for breaking bad habits. And like, I think we had agreed that cold turkey is really the way to do it because if you have a bad habit, you've already determined and proven to yourself that, you know, you don't have the ability to self-regulate if you're near the temptation source. So if I want to be rich in these other areas of my life, then I have to remove myself from these temptation sources as much yeah, as I you, can. You need to like <laughs> detox from the... Yeah. from all of the the bad sources of perfectionism uh, mm -hmm. you know i assume there's some sort of vinegar cleanse for that probably there's i think be. it means 
pour vinegar on every computer and phone that you own. Yeah. So that they no longer work. That'd be fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the problem. Like, we'll have a discussion like this, and I'll go, yeah, I should really prioritize that, that, and that. And then like, 15 minutes later, I have a discussion with uh, my agent. He's like, hey, these, these companies want to sponsor you. Or, or you know, give in to temptation, look at YouTube analytics, and be like, crap, I have to do better. I have to do more. It's yeah, like it's, constant it's pull. very, very difficult, especially because ostensibly those things enable the freedom you know, yeah. if you're like, well, if I if I did make more money, I could I could do this thing that maybe I would like. But you have to say no to the money at some point in order to actually do the thing that you've unlocked. Yeah, they they can enable the freedom, but they are not inherently designed to do so. Yeah, especially when we're talking about platforms run by people who have incentives counter to your own. Because let's face it, like the incentive of the people running YouTube is keep as many people watching for as long as possible so their incentive as it pertains to a creator is keep creating always never stop we need yeah. more content and you know it needs to be better optimized to keep people watching it's not you know make enough so that you have a sustainable business and then you can have freedom and then, then shut they down don't your care about that and they might say they do but businesses care about their bottom line so they don't actually care about that yeah, they've got you know. they've got some sort of stockholders that are going to be mad mm -hmm. if they care about that in general because it's not most profitable. Yeah, so I think like this is a very reactive way to live, and it definitely contributes to this this persistent perfectionism. And I think the the biggest thing to do is just to spend as much time as possible away from it. Yeah, which means you know getting back to things we've talked about in the past, having like a specific time of day to do things like check analytics and do email and things like that. And it's probably not even per day. Maybe it's like per week for some of those. Yeah. And, and I think after you that, could, like, don't touch it. You could probably bargain with yourself on what, what areas of your life. So it's kind of like uh, if you look at the Pareto principle, the 80, 80, 20 rule, you know, 80%, of the results come from 20% of the effort and the last 20% requires 80% more mm -hmm. of the effort basically. But maybe a way to look at this would be to consider for each thing you're trying to be perfectionist about. Let's assume the average person will just hit the 80% and then, and then be done. But you want to hit the hundred percent cause you're being perfectionist, which things is it actually worth doing that for? Because maybe my Delmice pixel art is worth it cause I enjoy it. But maybe having a perfectly clean house at all times doesn't actually ever matter, and the extra twenty percent never it will never benefit me in any yeah. way, and it will never benefit anyone because a house will get dirty again. So why would you keep putting in the effort for the extra twenty percent if you're just going to lose it? And obviously, I haven't fully learned this lesson. It's it's a little bit of a difficult one, but now that I'm saying it, it makes a lot of sense to just decide which things do I really want the extra twenty percent on? Which will that make a difference for yeah. for art? probably a few for being on time to something important like a like a, a family member's wedding or something being on time to something really important sure but being on time to a meetup at the library being five minutes late isn't gonna probably do anything so yeah at the 80 percent success rate just that's okay now here's the question how do you stick to that because well, i've told myself a zillion times care about like decide what your art is 
So maybe that's music, maybe that's one video per month and care about those to the extra 20% and let the rest of it be, you know, okay with good enough. And then in practice, I can't let things go. Like every time, this is what happens. It's like, I'm, all right, we got three videos this month. I'm gonna choose this one to be the big one. And then we start working on the small ones and like, wait, what if we did this in the small one? What if we did this? Blah. This is literally the thing. And we'll, you will see, cause we haven't shot the perfectionism video yet, but this video should be live before this podcast goes live. Um, the whole point was, okay, Martin is writing the video on perfectionism, so we will do it. And you know, I can kind of give it to the team. And then my brain goes, what if, what if I memorized the script perfectly and did it as a one take in like the forest and we filmed it with a gimbal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that's, and I know that's the like, problem. I should just sit down in the studio and do the video and give it to you guys and let you do what you're going to do with it because I have other things I should focus on. And that's, that's a problem. Like you can't, it's unsustainable. Yeah. And it's part of just how like your brain works. So obviously it's going to be very difficult to mm-hmm. change that on a short term basis. But- I think the only thing I can do is, is like make commitments with people with like with you or with Anna or with Tony, like, all right, this is, this is what we're going to do. I acknowledge that this is the time we have these limitations. This is why we have to do it this way. And if I start deviating from that, then, you know, you guys can tell me off. (laughs) Well, and it might even be, that might even be somewhat of a solution. If you talk out that extra 20% of effort, and then maybe, maybe the, the team will be like, the extra 5%, we get to 85%, that's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Let's do that part, but let's not do the last 15 because for yeah. this one, it doesn't matter, but for the next one, it might. And then at that point, if you set up a real plan to acknowledge how perfect you want it to be, maybe that's a goal you can now be perfect about. Instead, I will be perfect mm-hmm. about hitting the thing we've decided is right. And I don't know, a lot of times what I have to do is think, what would a what would a less perfectionist Martin think is acceptable in this situation? If I wasn't stressed out, maybe what would I think? Or what would what would Ashley do? Mm-hmm. And then try to consider what are the consequences of that, and whether they're actually that important. Yeah. And, and then part of it is just you have to teach yourself that the perfectionism doesn't matter as much. Like yeah. If if I want to learn that being a couple minutes late to something isn't going to make everyone hate me then I'm probably going to have to on purpose do that a couple of times, see that nothing bad happens. It's it's like uh, any other fear because perfectionism, parts of it, especially the bad parts about are about fearing not being good enough. But with most fears, yeah. the more you avoid it, the stronger it is. Yep. It, like spiders. If I'm scared of spiders and I avoid them, every single day I'm going to think, man, I felt really good today, probably because I didn't see any spiders. And, yeah. and the more you see spiders, and obviously this is difficult for somebody with arachnophobia, but if I was surrounded by spiders at all times, I would get bored at some point. There, yep. there would be a time at which I wasn't, I was like too bored to be afraid. Yeah, you just so, need exposure therapy. So how can we do exposure therapy, but with not being perfectionist? We have mm-hmm. to, on purpose, do something imperfectly. You know, it's kind of funny. Like, so we got, we got a new cat and uh, Arwen, our our current cat or old cat she's very much not a fan of this new cat and she basically just hates all other cats 
so we've been going through this gradual process of introducing them. Like we'll started with feeding them on the opposite sides of a closed door, did that for like a week straight and then put a baby gates between them covered with a sheet and we'd like lift the sheet about an inch every time. And now we've graduated to the baby gates are there. There's no sheet so they can see each other. And she was growling and growling, and growling for a few days. And like this morning, she hardly growled at all. And it was funny, like I've realized every single time she's exposed to this other cat in an environment where she gets food or she gets played with or praise, like her brain secretes a little bit less hate juice towards this other cat every time, hmm. just a little bit gradually. And, and here's me going, cat, why can't you just like this other cat immediately? Come on. Meanwhile, like I have all these other higher level problems where it's the same exact thing. I need to go through gradual exposure therapy to the thing that I can't seem to make myself do in order to do. Like you just said, I need to do something to the 85%, put it out there and and acknowledge, oh, hey, that did fine. Yeah. And and now it's the funny thing is like it's not just it did fine it's it's a week later and how much do I care query the brain how much do I care about that thing I had to let go not at all I only it's cared about it now. in the moment yeah it's old news like you and it, I am I don't know about you but I'm usually able to pinpoint like what I'm being perfectionist about versus what would be essential I can usually pick it out pretty quickly. Like I can usually be like, all right, well that just, it just needs to be fixed because it's like a mistake or it just needs to be to a certain level, like a certain standard versus like, okay, I, I know that I'm being a little bit extra about this right now. And I just need to put things out there without that little bit of extra sometimes and acknowledge like number one, did it do okay? Were people saying like, oh, what the heck was wrong with that? No, uh, it did fine. And do I care now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've even considered recently, I was just like, maybe I should stop correcting my typos in Slack because you can edit the message and fix it. Oh, yep. And I was thinking, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I'm teaching myself that that actually matters mm -hmm. and, that, and that's bad. And I should just be okay with saying, yeah, yeah, I typed <laughs> it too fast. What do you want from me? You know what I realized last week? Um, it, I think it was in the deliberate practice episode. I did a Skillshare ad and. I flubbed a line in the ad and had to redo it. Um, Anna didn't catch it during her edit, but also Skillshare didn't catch it when they reviewed it. So it's just in the episode. <laughs> I say something and, and screw it up and then I try it again. And the, that flub is in, it's in there. It's just in the ad. That's and great. I'm like, huh? So the sponsor didn't even care about that. Yeah, and even I, their I thought standards about it. weren't a hundred. Right. I thought about it a little bit later. I'm like, maybe it was actually a good thing because like if I flub a line in the middle of an ad, you know, people tend to tune out during ads. That's going to be, they'd be like, wait, did he just flub a line? They're going to start listening to the ad again. So that, maybe that's actually a decent marketing tactic. Oops. Mm. I screwed up the line guys. Let me try it again. <laughs> just yeah. make sure you're listening to me screwing up this ad for Skillshare, the best place to get online classes. Um, anyway, I, I thought it was funny. Like even that, nobody cared so so like the fact that a stupid swoosh transition had a bit of like a blip on the vignette you know something that in the past i would have deleted the video and re-exported to fix like nobody cares nobody actually cares it's fine yeah i definitely deleted a pixel art that i had put up an animation 
of uh, the Highwayman because I forgot the apostrophe in I'm. I uploaded <laughs> it a second time as punishment for my transgressions to the algorithm and deleting the previous one. The second one didn't do nearly as well as I expected to. When I put it up corrected, it was like yeah. I, I, I ruined the momentum is what happened. I, yeah, I've, I've heard that uh, like people will sometimes do that for YouTube videos. And if you do that, it can, it, it can just like destroy the video's chances if you delete it and put it back up. Yeah. So uh, I like the very first video I ever did for Brilliant was the like how to get better at math video. And I uploaded it and I usually watch through the entire video to check for errors. And I, I must've just like missed this one thing. Um, there's like a, there's like a, pl a place in the video, like, I don't know, like six minutes in where Premiere freaked out in the export and like flashed the media offline graphic like five times. <laughs> and I think it was cause I was just pushing plugins too hard when I exported it. Uh, and that video has like a million views. And like, yeah, a couple of people have called it out, but there was nobody who was like, this video is invalid because of this rendering error. Like the content is still there. The, even the resource I was showing off, like they still got the gist. It's fine. You know, it's, it's not something that I would like repeat. It's like, cool, learn from the stake. Don't do that again, but it's okay. You know, it'd be like flowing a line during a talk in person and walking off stage and be like, I got to start again, guys. That is from a really the, the interesting top. example because exactly when you're doing piano, you are supposed to be able to say, you mess up, you need to move on immediately. You don't, mm -hmm. you don't say whoops and replay it. You're, you're very much taught. Keep, just keep going. No, everybody will forget in 10 seconds. Just go. Yeah. If you play an yeah. off key, you have to pretend you didn't hear it. The funny thing is, uh, in, in my song, Icicle Swords and the previous one, a uh, front number two in each of them, there is what I perceive to be a mistake and I've never heard anybody call it out. Like they, they almost once. never, they almost certainly never will. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I try to think of this one thing, like when it comes to, when it comes to speeches, I can't remember who said this, but they said like the audience will never know what you didn't say. So like if you had a speech planned out and you forgot a line, you know, as long as it made sense to what whatever you transitioned to, the audience didn't know you planned to say that. So they don't know like, oh, hey, he forgot a line. Ha, he messed up. Uh, and similarly, if you are performing a piece and maybe you hit a wrong key, it's not even guaranteed they're going to know you didn't mean to hit that. Like, you know, if, it, if it's out of key, okay, maybe they're going to they're going to notice, but then they're just going to quickly forget. But if you hit a note that was in key, like they might not even have known that you planned to hit a different key. I mean, if it's out of key, all you got to do is the next time you repeat that pattern, do it out of key again. They're going to be like, wow, that's so avant-garde. He's messing it yeah. up on purpose. There you go. Yeah, everything is just, everything just wrong is actually avant-garde. Yeah, I played this perfectly. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, I think we should move to cold member questions very quickly. But to, to recap this, you know, I think the, the main thing I've pulled from this discussion is the need for exposure therapy of sorts to putting out imperfect work because done is beautiful. Done is okay. Yeah, I felt better about my photos when I was posting every day mm -hmm. than the few times I thought, I'm going to post amazing photos once a week. I just, that never worked. Every yeah. time I posted daily, it felt better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, w I would like to get back to like, 
you know, a strict weekly published day because that's how we started on YouTube is it was like, there was a day every week and some weeks would be like, well, I can't, I can't do what I plan to do. So I'm just going to do an easier video, you know, but yeah. now it's like, yeah, you accept, you accept hold. doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, then, and there's tons of things that can justify that, but I need to like put those things aside and ask myself like, what, what are the things I really care about? Uh, it's not optimizing for these specific metrics because my life was fine before optimizing for those probably better. Uh, so I need to be okay with certain numbers being lower that's okay because certain more ethereal qualities will be better. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our cult member questions. Hooded robes up candles lit. Good chanting boys. Uh, number one, I'm a freshman in college and I'll be living on campus for the first time next semester. So should I direct my focus on my schoolwork and freelance business or being social and making friends? I've had issues in the past with being too work oriented. Yeah, this is a great question. It's also hard to answer definitively. It is hard to answer um, definitively. That's true. Probably not. What perfectly. I can say is when I was in college living on campus, I definitely made time for friends and I absolutely do not regret that. I also absolutely do not regret the fact that I got a B in a couple of classes. Yeah. And you did find time to work on College Info Geek. Yep. So you, you did have time, time for that. And I usually spent mm -hmm. Sundays off working on my own projects, but I feel like the friends would be the immediate more important as long as you don't completely disregard the other thing. Just because yeah. the social things will be harder to get later. And also yep. you'll probably regret missing them more. Yeah. And I mean, with, with any question like this, like take stock of your own situation because the answer to this question may be different from so, for somebody like who's trying to get into med school or Harvard law than it is for somebody who is in like, you know, going to state college, majoring in accounting. It's different equations. If your goal is to get into some place that puts a huge priority on you know really good academics then you may have to prioritize that a bit more um, what i found going to state college majoring in mis uh, in the business school and then deciding that what i wanted to focus on was my entrepreneurial uh, goals is perfect grades they started out not really mattering that much and by the end of college they mattered not at all i guess other than the fact that i was running a college blog which like is one of the main reasons I didn't drop out of college because you know, by the time my senior year ran came around, I realized like what I'm doing, I do not need the remaining classes that I'm going to take here. I do not need a piece of paper that says I graduated from college for this. So really what I'm gaining here is I guess a backup option. Um, but I have absolute faith in myself that I could go to more than one backup option without needing a college degree at this point with the skills and the relationships I've developed. Um, but also like, I didn't want to be the college blogger who dropped out of college. <laughs> that would be kind of an ironic thing for the brand. It would be very funny. Uh, and I was like, okay, let's, let's just graduate from college. Um, but also like you have to realize when you live on campus, that is like probably the best time in your life you're ever going to have for just social opportunities being there. You're surrounded by peers at all times and it's tons of just, activities and Yeah. You know, I don't want to say like do that 
to that degree later. Uh, move to a hippie cult? I mean, adults, like, you can't even hang out with your friends without setting up, like, a, a friendship date. You know, like, hey, are you free Thursday? Yeah. Let's do something. And, and in college, it was just like, I'm going to wander over there, knock on the door, and see what happens. My first and second years of college were, like I said, they were, they were the the best times of my life for spontaneous social interaction and for sheer amount of social opportunities. Because now I live in the suburbs. I have a job. I have a full-time career. I have after work hobbies that I want to do. It takes, uh, on, on the low end, 10 minutes to get to a friend's house. And for some other friends up to half an hour. Yeah. Like there's just a lot more in the way to social interaction and nothing that's like pushing me to do it other than my own desire. Whereas in college, it's like you're in the dorms, the doors are open, people wander in, there's like a bulletin board on the wall with all these things you can go do. Um, I remember, you know, at Iowa State, they had, uh, there was like club day where like all the clubs would have booths in this big giant auditorium where you could just go and learn about all of them. There was like event day, all kinds of stuff. Like it was just, it was amazing, you know, to think back on it. And I would hate to have never taken advantage of any of that just to, you know, get a a little bit better grades, you know? So really what this comes down to is like, you have to manage your time. You have to study effectively. If you can learn the techniques to study effectively, then you can, you can get those grades in less time. Uh, and that gives you more time to work on your freelance business or work on being social. Yeah. And, and you don't want to lack, like in, I would say the majority of situations as a human, if you don't have great social intelligence or capability, you're cutting yourself out of way more opportunities than you are by getting yeah. a B. Yeah, that's true too. Um, you know, it's funny cause like this, this show used to be called the college info geek podcast. So you'd think like we'd be super pro college, but you know, as time go- has gone on, for many things, I start thinking like, what is this society that we've created where the message that is given to every young person is if you want to be successful in life, you have to go to this expensive institution and go through this prescribed list of courses. Even though like 90% of the people you will talk to who have done that will tell you like, I'm not using almost anything of what I learned in college in my current job. Ooh, but but I will say I'm using the time management and social skills I learned. Yes. But not the classes. I would have maybe I would have still gone back back then just for the time management and social skills, but the classes, I don't I don't even really remember them other than French. Yeah. So, an extreme person who was going to get a lot of views on the radio would would take that conclusion and say college is a scam. It's useless. And I, I, remember, I think I remember Gary Vaynerchuk saying that very thing on this podcast, episode number eight. Uh, <laughs> what I would say is not necessarily college is a scam, but we tend to we, we tend to draw these battle lines. Social time equals free time equals goofing off, not useful to your future. Study time, going to class, reading that case study about Goodhart's Law in your philosophy textbook, that's useful to your future. Um, I would say erase that line. I don't think that line exists. Look at it all as potentially useful or potentially useless. 
Reading that case study about Goddard's Law, probably not that useful to your future career. Going to that party, you might actually you know, get some practice talking to people you don't know very well, being confident in a social situation. That could be very useful for you in you know, developing relationships in the future, uh, dating in interviewing in um, you know, just building relationships that can help your career networking, all kinds of stuff. So look at it all as potentially valuable experience, both for your, you know, current enjoyment, but also for your future. And then ask yourself like, okay, what's going to help me more staying in and reading that extra case study that's assigned to me in my philosophy 101 class, which is an elective that I don't actually care about and is not part of my major pathway or hanging out with some friends. Yeah. You know, the answer is not clear cut. So uh, next question, which will be our wrap up question. Any reason for specifically using windows, which is actually a question for me. Yeah. Cause yeah, Tom, why well, don't use windows? <laughs> well, I do. I, I have a boot camp installation for playing among us. Oh, you do. Okay. It's yeah. stupid that that's not on Mac, but what are you going to do? So uh, I have a few reasons that I use windows. The first one is actually going to sound really dumb to most people, but I've been using a MacBook and a windows desktop concurrently for like 10 years now, literally a decade. So I am fluent in both operating systems and I don't know what it is, but the mouse drivers on windows feel better. I don't know what it is, but using a mouse on a Mac, it just doesn't feel as accurate as like fast as I don't know what it is. And the, the flip side is true with touchpads. Mac OS touchpad drivers are infinitely better than windows ones. I've tried many windows laptops. None of them feel as good. So I use a I use a windows desktop and I use a Mac laptop. I get the best pointer experience, but also <laughs> I like to play games. You know, I play Fortnite, play PC games, and I like building my own computers. And you get a better deal when you build your own computer than you do when you buy a Mac desktop. Yep. Which is what yeah, and, and Mac desktops mm -hmm. start at like very, very much higher They're than expensive. a Windows desktop. For a laptop, it's like yeah. almost comparable entry points depending on what level Mac you want. But desktops, yeah. you got to jump straight to crazy Mac desktop. It, yeah, and it's so it's not just the mouse driver thing uh, that informs my laptop and desktop choices. I firmly believe that as a total package, there is not a single Windows laptop out there that can even touch the MacBook Pro. In terms of uh, the the power of the hardware you can put into it, the battery life, and the quality of the components, and like the the mouse pad, the keyboard, the chassis, everything, there's nothing. At least as far as I've looked. Uh, I bought a Dell XPS 15 for a while, tried that out. The touchpad's crap, don't like it. The build quality is not as good as a MacBook. You know, they put a decent graphics card in there, but on a MacBook Pro, you can get a ball in graphics card and a powerful i9 processor. Uh, and like you can get a, if, if you wanna get a, a la, like a Windows PC with a graphics card as good as in the MacBook Pro at the highest end, you're getting a gaming PC that's like, a big honking laptop that has terrible battery life. There's just nothing out there. The Windows laptop, like the Microsoft one, that's similar build quality, but they don't make it with high-end components. So like if you want a workstation class laptop that fits in your backpack, 
that lasts long in the battery. I just, I have never found anything that can compete with the MacBook Pro. But on the, on the desktop side, like, you know, if I just built a new PC the other day and I think I spent like 5K on this PC and it's, it's a baller PC. And if you go buy a Mac Pro, that thing starts at 6K and it would be less powerful. Yeah, yeah. And, think, and at that point, I, I feel like it just doesn't make sense for a, for a desktop environment. Mm-mm. But for no, a MacBook, I can like, just hook up to a monitor. Yeah, I, I think it, it can matter a lot for people who really want to be all in on the Mac ecosystem. Like if you want iMessage on everything, if you want HomeKit support on every computer you use, like it is more convenient to be honest. For any app I want to use, I need to find either a Mac and Windows equivalents or like find a cross-platform one, which has informed my choices. I often wonder like, would I have even tried Notion if I had been all Mac? Cause maybe I would have just stuck with Bear. Yeah, and or, I use uh, Bear Ulysses. and I like mm-hmm. Bear. Bear is awesome. But yeah, yeah if I wanted it on Windows, Windows, I can't I can't use it. <laughs> they said they were going to do a web app a long time ago and they never did. But so, I still boot into yeah. Windows for games. So mm-hmm. there we are. That's on the, the other hand, too. that build quality you were talking about, I had a MacBook Air for like nine years. In two years yep. in college, I had two Windows laptops because they just yep. broke down. Now there are there are like certain companies that make really good build quality laptops for Windows. Uh, Lenovo does for certain of their certain lines, and uh, I would say Microsoft like their Windows laptops, the Surface ones. They're super well, good. Those are nice. Quality. They're I super like the surfaces. Nice. I think they are MacBook quality. They just don't. They don't make the components. They weren't around they when I was buying computers. Yeah. But they don't put good components in it. You can't get a GTX 2080 or 27 or not 2060 or 2070 mobile in a Windows laptop. So if you want like a good video editing laptop, you're either buying a big honking gaming laptop or uh, one of those Asus Creator laptops, which is still kind of big, or you get a MacBook. You know, I just eh, eh. so that's why I do it. That's why I use both operating systems. But I also uh, live a complicated life and kind of enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's why I like building my own PCs. You know, you can just go buy a Mac Pro, Mac Pro and like not care. But yeah, I, I think that's going to do it for our cult member questions and for this first episode of 2021. So as always, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for hanging out, Martin. <sighs> You're welcome. Yeah. I have uh, truly you blessed your day. You really did. It's been a... It's been a quite a day so far. I had to wake up real early. Our meetings have moved to 8 a.m. instead of 10 a.m. for standard. Uh, anyway, theinforium.com is where you can go to subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. We're on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts and Stitcher and all the things. And we've got links to where you can subscribe on theinforium.com. Also, show notes. You'll find a listing of every episode we've done there, and you can find the show notes for any episode we have done. So if we talked about something you want to check out, such as the book on perfectionism that we discussed in this episode a little bit, we'll have that in the show notes. Check those out. Uh, As always, if you want to support this show, share it with a friend, let them know what your favorite episode is, and maybe consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you are one of those Mac, iPhone, iPad users who listens on an Apple device. Beyond that, well, there's nothing really to say. So thanks as always. 
for hanging out. Uh, there is that video on perfectionism on my channel. So if you want to get the more condensed take on this subject, check that out. But uh, if you don't want to do that, well, don't. I'm not your dad, but we will see you in the next episode. Thank you.